together, you and I are about to embark on a non-linear road trip through popular culture. A subjective history tour chronicling the histories and legacies of the coolest movies and television shows ever made. This season, it's David Zucker, Jim Abrams, and Jerry Zucker's landmark 1980 parody, Airplane. From the movies and comedians that paved the way for the funniest movie in recorded history, to its contemporaries and the filmmakers it inspired, we're bouncing backwards and forwards through time for a salute to comedy on film and the fine cinematic art of orchestrated anarchy. So come along with me, your wonky yet affable host Ryan Luis Rodriguez, for season two of The Coolness Chronicles, The Shirley Chronicles. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to... Uh... Well, we've warned you. Colonel, these men have taken a supreme vow of celibacy, like their fathers and their fathers before them. Last week, we finished a two-part deep dive into the various parodies of the 1990s, and you may have noticed that we left out two particularly noteworthy films. That's right, we skipped over Jim Abrams' Hot Shots and its sequel, Hot Shots Part Dieu. Well, we're actually compensating for that oversight, which is not actually an oversight because it was deliberate, but I digress, and we're discussing both films this week. It's a tale that involves satirized dictators, references to Lady and the Tramp, numerous pairs of aviator sunglasses, model planes, and a serious lack of shirtless volleyball. On with the show! Foxtrot Zulu Milkshake, Hot Shots. When the filmmaker triumvirate of Zucker, Abrams, and Zucker disbanded after the release of Ruthless People in 1986, two of the trio took the disbandment as an opportunity to stretch their wings, in different ways. David Zucker obviously revisited Police Squad for The Naked Gun. Jim Abrams went for classic farce with Big Business, Jerry Zucker delivered a rom-drom for the ages with the phenomenally popular Ghost. Abrams followed up Big Business with a more traditional dramedy, Welcome Home, Roxy Carmichael. After the success of Ghost, Jerry Zucker remained on the same path and directed the medieval romance First Night, but Abrams seems to have gotten straying from the path out of his system and returned to parody in 1991 with Hot Shots. These men have been selected to write a page in military history. They are the best the Navy and Air Force have to offer. Charlie Sheen. Seems no matter what I do, I end up hurting someone. Lloyd Bridges. Call them the best of the best. You're the best of the best. Call them Hot Shots, the mother of all movies. <laughs> this film is not yet rated. Starts Wednesday, July 31st at theaters everywhere. Have you seen Top Gun? You have? Well, congratulations, you've seen Hot Shots. That's not necessarily a criticism, and I'm not saying don't watch it because it's still pretty funny, but compared to some of the best parodies, this is pretty visible low-hanging fruit. In Top Gun, Tom Cruise plays Maverick Maverickson. I 
think that's his name, an egotistical U.S. Navy fighter pilot with masculinity issues who loses a trusted friend and romances his civilian lady instructor played by Kelly McGillis, who thinks he might be dangerous but admires his flying. And in Hot Shots, Charlie Sheen plays Topper Harley, an egotistical fighter pilot with daddy issues who loses a compatriot and romances his appointed lady therapist, played by pretty lady Valerina Galeno, who thinks Topper might be dangerous, but admires his flying. See? Just different enough to avoid being a direct remake, not different enough to be recognized as anything but a parody. Which again, is not necessarily a criticism. Where Hot Shots works, it works very well. For instance, everything involving airplane star Lloyd Bridges as Admiral Benson, who has had every key part of his anatomy replaced, each in a different wartime accident, making him more machine than man. But here's the thing. Top Gun is already pretty funny. Have you seen it lately? It's shamelessly an advertisement for the Navy, yet contains about 300% more homoeroticism than anything else of its ilk. The volleyball scene alone makes it the most accidentally transgressive movie ever made. That said, Hot Shots really takes off, no pun intended, when it dials in on what makes not just Top Gun funny, but all movies funny. By giving the doomed fallen compatriot the call sign Dead Meat, and no, he isn't played by Sean Bean, you're directly addressing a trope that has infested movies since time immemorial. The idea of the character that is created just to be a sacrifice to drive the inner growth of our protagonist. It allows Jim Abrams and co-writer Pat Prof to pass through the veil of parody and enter into the field of film criticism, telling movie makers, we see you, we know how you operate, and we can call attention to your failings, which is something that the best comedy can do. There is an opportunity to go beyond, oh, that's the movie that makes fun of Top Gun, and it is something that can stand the test of time. Good news. We just closed escrow on our little dream house. Wonderful. When do we move in? Tuesday. I've got the kids dripping the asbestos off the pipes right now. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Things just couldn't be better for us. I'm so blessed. Oh, your life insurance forms came for you to sign. Oh. Oh, oh my mirror. I'll get another pen. Okay. No need. I'll sign it when I get back. Well, you know best. Honey, you know that global warming problem? I've discovered how we can reverse it. Tell me. Oh, not now, lovey bumpers. There'll be plenty of time for that later. The Top Gun-specific stuff is fine. You get Prime John Cryer as a wall-eyed recruit, which is always a plus. Galeno and Sheen have some decent chemistry. Carrie Elwes does his best slimy conservative, approximating Val Kilmer as Iceman. The score is a decent facsimile of Harold Faltermeyer. The photography by Bill Butler is overly soft, but it otherwise acquits itself quite well, not surprising for the guy who shot Jaws. The flying scenes use models and miniatures to try and replicate the aerial spectacle of Tony Scott's film, but I don't know. It's good. It's fine. Contemporary parody is a double-edged sword. If you ridicule something in the cultural consciousness, it might play like gangbusters in the moment, but two, three years later, it won't make an impression. Unless your audience is squinting their eyes and saying, I think that's from a movie. I mean, that's technically an impression. You tie yourself to a very specific moment in time. 
airplane works because it's been 41 years, we're still quoting it, and people still don't know that it's a remake of Zero Hour. Ask most people who've seen it what it's making fun of, and they'd likely say Airport, even though it's actually more of a parody of Airport 1975. It has become timeless, is what I'm saying. Top Secret works because it's such a strange, brilliant juxtaposition of war movies and Elvis movies, two subgenres that no longer existed by the time it was produced, so no one can tie it to some current fad. There are many moments in watching Hot Shots that make me feel old because I know where they're from. For instance, Charlie Sheen and Valeria Golino reenact the sensual feeding scene from nine and a half weeks, except Sheen is folding up pizzas and shoving them in Galino's mouth, or frying eggs and bacon on her abdomen, instead of teasing her with ice cubes and strawberries, the most sensual of fruits, if one doesn't consider the pineapple. I've never seen Nine and a Half Weeks, but I am intimately familiar with it. Let's not elaborate how or why. People talked about it in hushed tones at the time, and it came out before I was born. It was part of the zeitgeist, like a less gross version of Last Tango in Paris, with more attractive actors. But no one talks about it today, since we can get our porn directly from the internet, yet Jim Abrams spends a good two minutes parodying this forgotten movie. You recognize it as a reference because you're watching it for a reason, and it sure as hell doesn't drive the plot, such as it is. And on the other edge of the sword, you hit upon something that so speaks to a particular moment you can reach transcendence. When you achieve this ability to register the deepest of belly laughs from a raptured audience. In the case of Hot Shots, which was released in July of 1991, there is a particular moment that speaks to this, the reaction to which informed what would come next. For the entire picture, it sticks to the Top Gun formula to a T, to the point that I frequently ask myself if moments in it happened in Top Gun, despite having seen Top Gun three times. But Top Gun doesn't really have an antagonist, kind of like a Miyazaki movie, and clearly, Jim Abrams was skirting the line between parody and copyright infringement, so he and co-writer Pat Proft embellished a few elements. Now, the Maverick, Iceman, and Goose analogs are preparing to fly a special mission called Operation Sleepy Weasel. For the entire movie, we have no idea what the mission is or what its objectives are, we just know that it's happening and somebody wants it to fail. In the last 20 minutes, Lloyd Bridges' Admiral character informs the pilots that they're going to fly to Iraq and destroy a nuclear power plant in Falafel Heights, which is obviously not a real place, and nobody actually says the word Iraq because they're all kind of cowards. Kidding. But when Sheen's Topper Harley begins his run and drops a bomb, who does it land on? Sayonara, Sodom. Actor Jerry Halliva playing Saddam Hussein, a role that he also played in a silent cameo during the dream sequence in The Big Lebowski. Fun fact. That moment, Hussein getting bombed went through the roof. It was such a surprise, especially since the United States, fun fact, didn't officially enter the Gulf War until January 1991, just six months before Hot Shots debuted. It was clearly something that was added at the very last minute, which likely explains why Iraq is never actually mentioned. And Jim Abrams was paying attention to the reaction because when Hot Shots was a real box office hit, 
grossing more than $180 million on a budget of 26, he made the background, the foreground, by taking Topper Harley and crew to war against good old Saddam just 14 months later for 1993's Hot Shots Part Dieu. Audiences are falling for Hot Shots Part Dieu. Oh. It was such a sensitive, uh, emotional roller coaster. Oh. You just felt that lump coming into your throat. There's my teeth. It really hit me right in the heart. Oh. Hot Shots Part Dieu. It made me miss my dad. Rated PG-13. Starts tomorrow. How do you make a sequel to a parody of a movie without sequels? Do you go the Airplane 2 route and just make the first movie over again with some minor changes? Well, Hot Shots Part Dieu decided instead to expand, move past Top Gun, and satirize an entire genre, the modern wartime picture. For its story, pfft, story, it drew upon a bevy of influences, from Rambo First Blood Part 2 to Apocalypse Now, including a very smart cameo from Charlie Sheen's father Martin, who tells Topper that he loved him in Wall Street. Good stuff. In the aftermath of Desert Storm, there were apparently numerous American soldiers captured, and Topper Harley is brought out of a self-imposed retirement to get our men back, including his mentor, played by Richard Crenna. Topper heads into Iraq with an elite group of specialists, including the late great Miguel Ferrer, only to discover that his ex-love Ramada, again played by Valeria Galeno, is behind enemy lines in search of her lost paramour. Oh, did I not mention, just like Airplane 2 and Naked Gun 2 and a half, our romantic protagonists broke up between films? <laughs> How silly of me. It's almost as if I expected you, the listener, who may not have even seen Hot Shots Part Dieu, to have assumed that it was the case. Topper. Why did you have to come here now? Of all the missions and all the jungles and all the world, you had to come walking into this one. Oh, Topper, I tried to stay away. I thought I was never going to see you again. That you were out of my life. But it's a sequel. I had to come. Do you have any idea what the critics will say? Same warmed-over characters. Topper, stop it. Anyway, Ramada was apparently married during the events of the original Hot Shots, her husband presumed dead, and in between films, she discovered that he was actually alive all this time, being held prisoner in Iraq. They rescue the prisoners. It turns out that the prisoner is actually both his mentor and her ex-lover. It all ends with Saddam Hussein in a lightsaber duel. So we have Rambo First Blood Part 2, Rambo 3, Casablanca, and practically everything else. The references come fast and furious, from No Way Out, to Lady and the Tramp, to Basic Instinct, and even Terminator 2. It's the omnivore parody, eating a little bit of everything and regurgitating it with jokes. Funny jokes. That's not always the case, as we learned last week. <coughs> Wrongfully accused. <coughs> Oof. Sorry, I had something in my throat. The political material is also ramped up as Lloyd Bridges' Admiral Benson has been elected president between films and now serves as an analog to a freshly booted from office George H.W. Bush, infused with the dumb hick personality of his son George W., whom the world didn't yet know was a moron. It marks the second round of shots fired at H.W. from Zaz personnel after the softball jokes aimed in his direction in The Naked Gun 2.5. In order to get a leg up on Naked Gun, 
Abrams and co-writer Pat Proft have Benson vomit in the Japanese Prime Minister's lap. Get it? Because Bush did that! Ha! In a bit that probably excited the baby boomers in the audience, Bridges also slaps on a wetsuit before the film concludes, narrating over some underwater shenanigans in a reference to Bridges' former television series, Sea Hunt. Fun fact, Bridges' character's name in Sea Hunt was Mike Nelson, which was later used for the MST3K test subject played by Michael J. Nelson. Now, if you thought he was just playing a version of himself, now you know the truth. And knowing is half the battle. Moving on. In terms of sheer craftsmanship, Part Dieu is probably inferior to the first Hot Shots, but in terms of jokes, a lot like Naked Gun 2.5, I may enjoy it a great deal more. It's clear at all times that Abrams and Proft are going for broke, putting everything they could think of into the film, fully not expecting to return for a third installment, which has been rumored for years, but is increasingly unlikely to ever materialize. And good, quit while you're ahead. A great deal of it hasn't aged well, like the treatment of Arabs, which is about as nuanced and sensitive as anything in True Lies, and it also doesn't help that this movie set mostly in vague Southwest Asia was shot on what looks like the village from Battle of the Planet of the Apes, which I'm pretty sure was just part of the 20th Century Fox ranch. But where I find the first Hot Shots amusing, or at the very least short and mildly diverting, the Mad Magazine version of Top Gun, Hot Shots Part Dieu pulls from so many corners of film and culture that it feels like its own thing completely divorced from one centralized source, which may appear relatively messy in comparison, but I find it more creative. And even without the various parodies therein, the writing feels sharper and bolder. There are jokes that are never announced, just hovering on screen for the more astute viewers to pick them up. It wasn't until my most recent viewing, which might be my fourth or fifth, that I noticed an Iraqi boat was christened the Ben Gazara, albeit with extra H's, because the kids these days are all about those background visual jokes about a Cassavetti's repertory player. Ugh, so great. The wordplay is on point, with one gag in particular that, were it to be featured on The Simpsons, would be considered a classic. Topper, what are you reading? Great expectations. Is it any good? It's not all I hope for. Despite the tepid critical reaction to Part Dieu, it was another box office hit, just like the original, grossing $133 million on a budget of 25, and I feel like it has a little more staying power. Part of the allure is that title. It's so stupid that nobody could possibly forget it, like the electric boogaloo of the 1990s. Beyond the movies, the marketing of Hot Shots is part of their appeal. It feels entirely appropriate that movies based around making fun of other movies would feature making-of documentaries that make fun of other documentaries. There's Hearts of Hot Shots Part Dieu, a filmmaker's apology, which plays with elements from Eleanor Coppola's documentary on her husband's film Apocalypse Now, Hearts of Darkness, a filmmaker's apocalypse. And for the original, there's The Making of an Important Movie. That's not a description, that's what it's called. The background... EPK is called The Making of an Important Movie. It's an electronic press kit that culls together behind-the-scenes footage and mock serious interviews from the cast and crew laid beneath pompous narration about the film's artistic integrity, 
like this bit that plays over footage of Valeria Galeno's brief song and dance routine from that film, itself a parody of a scene from the fabulous Baker Boys. Hot Shots, like the classic musicals of Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly, draws on music, lyrics, and graceful choreography to express the character's deepest feelings. It's like the fulfillment of something born in the days of Airplane, where David Zucker, Jim Abrams, and Jerry Zucker had a game to see who could get the biggest lie in print. This video compilation, meant to give entertainment news outlets somewhere to source actor quotes and help promote an upcoming project, yet offers nothing but bullshit. It's fantastic. Bernardo Bertolucci called me the other day, and he was uh, curious about how I would deal with a particular scene and a particular actor. I have no secrets. I'm willing to, to work with the man and give him as much help as I can. When Marty or Bernardo Woody call me, want to pick my brain, hey, I'm here for all of us. God bless you, Jim Abrams, you beautiful goddamn liar, you. Next week, we're following up this episode on the post-Zazz exploits of Jim Abrams with a return to the other members of the Zazz trio, the Brothers Zucker with First Night and Basketball, and another Abrams project, Jane Austen's Mafia! Exclamation point. And that is where we end this episode of The Shirley Chronicles. If you're a fan of the show, $5 gets you access to not just early broadcasts of every episode, but countless hours of bonus content and super fun weekly minisodes every Friday that spin off from the weekly show exclusively at patreon.com slash coolness chronicles. I'd switch it to Shirley Chronicles, but I can't. I'm stuck. But before we take off for the week, it's the moment you've all been waiting for. It's Ryan's Recommendations. Have you ever watched a movie late in life and spent the entire runtime kicking yourself for not having watched it earlier? Feeling like you were wasting your time watching whatever garbage you saw for the third time instead? Well, that perfectly describes my feeling watching Carol Ballard's 1979 masterpiece, the Black Stallion. If you want to believe in magic, in beauty, in friendship, and freedom, believe in the Black Stallion. The biggest, and the blackest, and the strongest, the most beautiful horse that ever was. Francis Ford Coppola presents Walter Farley's timeless classic, Whose Time Has Come, The Black Stallion. I can't defend my ignorance. I was an idiot for passing over the Black Stallion all this time. Maybe it's because I confused it with Black Beauty, some TV movie-level weepy for Hallmark Channel viewers or preteen girls. Instead, I was rewarded with a strikingly photographed, ethereal, intensely emotional drama about humankind's connection to creatures great and small. It's so good, I watched it twice in the span of a month. And I'm not the kind of person who does that. Except for Valley Girl, which I watched practically twice in a row recently. And The Matrix Resurrections. But we're not talking about Valley Girl or The Matrix Resurrections. We're talking about The Black Stallion. It's a good movie. You should watch it. In place of Black Beauty, which is maybe a good movie for children? I don't know. The Black Stallion. Not the TV version. Not The Black Stallion Returns. Not Young Black Stallion. The good one. 
It's currently streaming on Tubi, Hoopla, and Pluto, three services that I somehow didn't just make up. They're apparently real, and if you can suffer through ill-timed commercial breaks full of ads you've already seen a million times, check it out. Or pick up the Criterion Blu-ray like me and help keep physical media alive. For more reviews and recommendations, check out my Letterboxd page at letterboxd.com coolnesspodcast. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy what you hear, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your chosen source, locatable as The Coolness Chronicles, and share it with anyone you can, any way you can. This has been the largest and most fulfilling endeavor I've ever seen to completion, and it would be nice to keep making the show until it just isn't fun anymore. This is a 1,000% independent nonprofit podcast, and as such, we are markedly less visible. Every time you guys and gals spread the word, it assures that we can afford to record another day. Have any questions or comments? Have I missed anything so far in this series? Contact me on Twitter, at CoolnessPodRyan, Instagram, at The Coolness Chronicles. You're better off finding me there. I'm rarely on Twitter, on Podchaser, or on our Facebook page, and keep on the lookout for updates. Also, check out the other podcast that I co-host, Reels of Justice, where every week we put a movie on trial to determine if it's guilty or innocent of being a bad movie. The show is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you find fine, upstanding, well-groomed podcasts. Special thanks to the amazing Lacey Barker for all of our wonderful artwork, Bill Sherm for all of our wonderful music, and special, special thanks to our equally amazing patrons. Kathleen D, Isabel T, Bobby L, Michael A, Ian C, T-Flax, Ian M, Kitty K, Kelly B, The Vern, Michael H, Mary M, Bill M, Christopher H, Christopher J, Tracy R, and Jenny R. Until next time, do what you love, don't be a dick, and take care. Fantastic. Dawn, that's the end.